Ajit Tapa needs no introduction. For those of you who don't know him, you are in for a treat. And you will know him shortly. Would you welcome Bishop, Pastor, Archbishop, my brother, my friend, Klopas Chitapa. Okay. Now I know that you were enjoying the joke, that's why you were clapping. <laughs> it's so good to be here this morning today, amen? And uh, in the morning I was talking about the fact that I have a, a record of more than 20 years of never being absent from one church Sunday. And... Um, I think I'm, on, I'm working my way into the Guinness Book of Records somewhere. <laughs> but I want to urge you to find pleasure in being in the house of God on the day of worship. Um, because the Bible says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. For a day spent in your presence is better than a thousand elsewhere. You can never feel... Uh, comfortable when you are not in the house of God on a day of worship. Amen. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> this uh, couple of weeks back, I, I know that the church was enjoying and celebrating the return of your team. I say that I get to, we are coming a lot closer to each other because of social networking than we have ever. So anybody who is not on Facebook needs to repent. You need to make sure that <laughs> You get yourself on Facebook, and uh, <laughs> that helps us a whole lot more to interact and share and talk about what's happening in different parts of the world. Um, and uh, uh, Pastor Bruce and Pastor Wayne coming over to Zimbabwe during these uh, past weeks was a tremendous blessing. But for me, it was, it was something that I, I would say was a demonstration of the power of faith from one generation to another. And what I would like you to understand is that the word of God works all the time. It doesn't matter where and it doesn't matter among which kind of people. But I do understand that part of the reason why people have problems with it is because they, we are people, we expect immediate results and we don't realize that God's word works with time. The scripture teaches that the word of the Lord never returns back to him void, but it accomplishes what it sent it for. That means God's word works all the time. No matter whether you didn't see anything right now, but you need to know that the word works. Many years ago, Pastor Bruce came over to Zimbabwe. I guess our story and our involvement with this great church begins there. But I only came into college the very year that Pastor Bruce came back to the United States. And uh, so Pastor Ronnie Mick and Margaret were my teachers. And I would like to explain to you what I felt after the return of Pastor Bruce, because this was like finishing our, or the puzzle being knit back together as we see a repeat of history. But this season being a celebration of the faithfulness of God and the continuous work of the word of God in the lives of people. Anything you have ever invested in people, will always, if it is, has to do with the word of God, it will produce fruit. Amen. And the excitement of the people to see him coming back. 
I, 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 I could not even follow the story through with all the things that happened from the day that they landed in the country up until the time that I took them to the airport. I remember that at the airport, there were a couple of bishops and good friends in ministry who were also traveling elsewhere. And when they learned that Bruce Cobble was around, there was commotion in the, <laughs> in the airport. And he is not one of the greatest preachers I have ever heard of. Uh, those of you who have listened to Pastor Bruce, I, in introducing him to our church, I said, I cannot tell you if, if it was sinful to desire that you wish you had a heart that another man has, then I think I have transgressed somewhere in that area. Because I've never wanted so badly to be like um, someone like I desire to have the attitude and spirit that Pastor Bruce has. And it's, 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 it's something that clearly shows you... Uh, if I would ask for a man to pray for me, that's the kind of a man I would ask to pray for me. And, but I think his mission, two things I will mention, and then we get into the word. Uh, this is not the sermon. Um, but one of the first things that I would like to, to mention to you is that it brought back the memory of what Pastor Ronimic said to us as a class on his final banquet when after spending years with us. And <clears throat> upon his plans to return back, he said something that evening that I will never forget. He said, I've been in this country for these years. The president of this country does not know me. I never made an appearance on national television. I've never spoken on your national radio. I spend all my time shut up in a particular area somewhere with a group of students. And uh, now I'm going back to my country. But I want you to remember this. For all the work that I did, the impact of my work in this nation will return. Remain until Jesus Christ comes back again. And what am I saying today? Exactly the truth about that. And I've just spent the last four weeks preaching in England. And, and my host and my pa pastor who is pastoring our church in the United Kingdom now, uh, Pastor Ephraim, was actually part of our same class together with uh, me. We graduated together. And he was our teacher. And my heart was bubbling with joy to see what God is doing among the nations of the world through the product that came out of his hand. And once again, we see the connection that this church, even though, as I said in the morning, even if they had come back and never did anything and just said, uh, they, would, they actually did enough. Because you have no idea what God is doing among the nations of the world through the people that they invested in. And I stand here to be a testimony to that. Let's give a clap offering to the Lord. Amen. Amen. You know, I think about a year ago, I, I, more than a year ago, I think uh, two years, may, uh, I, I, I passed through here and I was preaching at a conference uh, that Dr. Jim O'Neill was organizing in Philadelphia. Uh, he's the president of a mission organization. And there were a couple of very uh, good and big names in this country, some think tanks in global missions who were at the meeting. And I, 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 it was a joke for me that one of them could not afford to, to share a platform with someone who had not been to Dallas Theological Seminary. So he walks over to me and he says, so when were you last at Dallas? I said, Dallas, uh, are you talking about the city? He said, no, 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 I mean Dallas Theological Seminary. You know, in the whole world of theological learning, Dallas Theological Seminary is like the Harvard of <laughs> biblical study. And I said, I've never been there. He said, what do you mean you have never been to Dallas? I said, no, I've never been to Dallas. He said, so where did you go to? I said, I went to Ronnie Meek University. <laughs> he said, where is that? <laughs> I never heard of it. 
I said, well, it's somewhere down there in Tennessee. You can check it out. (laughs) It's so interesting to see the power of the word of God in the lives of people. Amen. And that is the celebration of ministry in essence. Now, the other thing that I would also want to say is um, we have to be thankful to God for gifts like Wayne and Pastor Bruce. I, I told Pastor Bruce that I have never seen in my life, and you have to take my word for it because I deal with many different kinds of missions, teams coming over to Southern Africa at different times and different parts of the country and the, the world too. I have never seen a team well prepared like the Springhouse team that came to Southern Africa this time. And when I say that, I mean to say that, and believe me, I, 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 I have no joy in fooling you. So you need to believe what I'm saying. Uh, I have never seen a team subjected to the kind of strenuous schedule that we worked under in the time that they were in Southern Africa. And yet not even one cracked in the process. And these are Americans, if you have to believe, you have to, you, this, <laughs> I'm not talking, I'm not talking, I'm talking about people spending all that time under a schedule of such a nature, and yet you complete the entire tour of duty, and nobody's cracking. Nobody complained, and everybody blessing the Lord through every circumstance. This team was wonderful, and I think it does show you the blessing of belonging to a church where the leadership is mission-minded and understand the world much better than the average citizen. Let's give a clap offering to the Lord again for that. Amen. Amen. Well, we got to get into the word. Hallelujah. And, um, <laughs> you know, I'm hoping that 2012 we'll see more people coming from Springhouse to to Africa, uh, so take this as an official announcement for the next. <laughs> um, sometimes there's a whole lot of you who have this thing called money problem. Um, don't worry, there's enough money somewhere in your world. Uh, I do know one young man who came on the trip. They told me that he listened to what I said last year, that if you have a money problem to go to world mission, I'm not talking about a money problem to do something else. I'm talking about money for world missions. Um, I, let me invite me to your house and I will take a tour with you from your basement to your attic and I will help you to see what can help you to get on the next mission <laughs> there definitely should be something in there that can get us somewhere <laughs> so I, 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 I know that uh, there is a way out, amen and uh, if the worst comes to the worst then I, I will share with you my own 999 plan on how to keep on doing missions around the world <laughs> But somehow we figure out something, and uh, uh, we need to keep on doing what God called us to do. And you know, uh, it is so much a joy to me to see uh, sometimes the obedience of Wayne in many things, because Wayne is like, to me, the third generation out of this church, taking the mantle to continuously keep the flame of world missions burning, especially the African Connection. And uh, I don't understand Wayne all the time. You have to know. You have, you know. <laughs> One of the greatest things about Wayne is that out of everybody that is weeping over the death of Steve Jobs, Wayne should be weeping more than anybody else. I don't think his technology classes are done. As you <laughs> so, so the last time we had a Skype discussion, I didn't switch off. I didn't turn. I didn't cut him off the line. We, we finished our talk. And then the next thing I'm hearing him screaming over the other side. He couldn't believe he was seeing my face. And I don't know, I think he was in Mel's house and, and he was talking, I can't believe this. What is this thing? I don't know whether he was 
Then the next thing, Pastor Ronnie is on, uh, on, I think we were having a Facebook chat, and he said, you know what he has been doing all this time? Chanting before the computer, hoping your face will appear on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm hearing him, but I can see him, and he said, Clopas, are you there? I said, I am there. How do I get to see you? This brother is so much analog, like you have no idea. <laughs> what a man of God. Amen. <laughs> and uh, the greatest thing about him, he gets things done. That's for sure. And we, we are so thankful for the gift of God in him. Um, I, 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 I can assure you that when I left England these uh, last few days, I, I told people that someone called Wayne Berry will be coming with a team to this land. And to help all of us to get into the presence of God. And um, so get ready. Amen. I thank the missionaries for telling people to get passport. Did you know that the United States always starts things, but it always remains behind in the implementation of that? I, I was puzzled to know how many people do not have passports in this country. It's amazing. It's a free document. Everybody is supposed to have one. Uh, it costs a lot of money here. Yeah, but not as much money as our hair do and the other things that I know about. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so I, I can assure you that everybody can get a passport. Amen? I know that thing for sure. Oh, thank you. There's my sister with one out there. Uh, let's get our passports ready. Uh, the Lord may talk to us something. Amen? And uh, I thank these missionaries for encouraging us uh, to do that. You know why many of people in America do not have passports? Because there are so many Americans that do not know that they need a passport to go to another country. <laughs> did, you, did you ever read the story of Arnold Schwarzenegger getting into Japan and eventually leading to the firing of the Home Affairs Minister? True story. Went to Japan without a passport. And the immigration says, passport please. And he says, I'm an American. So what did you say? I said, passport, please. He said, I'm an American. Did you hear what I said? You are an American. You need a passport. They sto- a true story that actually the Home Affairs Minister eventually sanctioned for him to be allowed into the country. He said, I have no peace. My son is crying all the time. He says, Daddy, you have to let him in. I need to see that guy. The man allowed him in, lost his job. Schwarzenegger, please get a passport. I think in his case, he had forgotten. <laughs> but I want you to understand that you need a passport if you have to do missions work. Amen. And always keep yourself ready in the presence of God. That whatever you want to do with me, I am ready. At least I have the document. Amen. And uh, this house is full of missionaries. Um, if I lived in this community, this would be my church. I can assure you of that. I can't go to a church where the leadership does not know that Jesus Christ said, go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations. Three out of four born-again Christians in America do not know what the phrase Great Commission refers to. So sometimes it's kind of like a tragic detail when you look at it and you think, when you say Great Commission, they think it's a new restaurant or a hamburger that is, or something like that. They don't know what, what is the Great Commission. It's the most important commission that the church has in the world. We were not called to fool around and play games. We were called as a body to preach the gospel to the rest of the world. Amen? All right. Mark chapter 5. Let's see what God wants out of us today. 
I will be very quick to finish this sermon because there is a barbecue ready for me this afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) And my dear friends, Mario and Mel, we're having some good uh, times to reflect on the wonderful times we spend in Africa uh, together. Um, In Africa, we eat a lot of meat. In fact, I, I told you last year that there's a project I'm doing among the, in northern Namibia among the Himbas where they truly believe that chicken is vegetable. We eat a, a real serious, <laughs> serious meat, <laughs> real meat. And uh, so if you want meat, you better stay close to me this afternoon. I may help you, your name on the list, and we will have a great time. Amen. Mark chapter 5. I want to talk about faith a little bit, but I do believe that there's a whole lot of God's people that are not walking in faith anymore. We live in a world that is so structured in systems that sometimes people do not understand that we were called to be a people of faith. I love the Apostle Paul when he says to his son Timothy, fight the good fight of Faith. You know, when, when you look, listen to that passage, it really does tell you that the greatest fight that the children of God have is not with the devil, it's the fight of faith. <laughs> and the scripture teaches that the just shall live by faith. Oh, I love that scripture. And you know, it's, it's much more interesting when you know the historical context of that passage, that the words were first spoken to a guy called Habakkuk, the most complaining prophet of the Old Testament. Why do the unrighteous prosper? Why is it that an ungodly man begins something and steals his way to the summit of success when the godly people are still toiling behind? And that is the man to whom God said, the just, my just, shall live by faith. (laughs) Big story there. The Bible says we walk not by sight, but we walk by faith. That means no matter how big your eyes are, the Bible still expects you to walk by faith. Not by sight. The Bible says we are saved by grace, Ephesians 2, through faith. That means nobody can attain salvation without faith. Faith is the medium of relationship with God. I call it the currency of heaven. You have to have faith in God. You know, uh, some years ago, I used to spend a lot of time speaking in university campuses. And taking a very apologetic approach on why even though you can be so intelligent, why you fail to, to get, or why you miss God. Because for the most part, every single brilliant person is analyzing everything about faith in the realm of the mind and is wondering why he is missing God. Well, you see, you cannot miss God in the level of intellect. You have to understand that the reason is not because you are stupid. The reason is that it was never intended to be like that. Your mind cannot reason out the infinite. You are a human being with all your limitations. That is the reason why no matter how smart you are, God never comes to jump in your test tube. You have to meet him only by believing in him. The reason is because your mind is limited. Your mind does not know God. Your mind is a product of what we call a pagan socialization. Everything you call and which you are proud of as education is the exposure of your senses to things that other men knew before you. That's why you don't use your own textbook. You have to read books that were written by other dead fellows. Now what you have to know is, 
What you need to understand is, in order to figure out God, you move out of the realm of intellect to another realm that is superior to senses. Because your mind has been exposed to things that do not necessarily help you to figure God. Like this. Your mind knows a child being born. Your mind knows the child dying. Your mind knows a tree being planted. Your mind knows a tree dying one day. In your mind, everything begins and ends. And suddenly the gospel comes and he says, there is a God who was never born and will never die. He has no father or mother. He comes from timelessness in eternity and he lives through timelessness immemorial. Your mind listens to that and it's like putting a hardware of Windows 7 into a 286. It rejects it and says, we don't know anything like this. It don't work like that because everything I know begins somewhere and ends somewhere. Everything I know was born and it will die. Everything I know started elsewhere and has somewhere where it ends. So when your mind fails to figure God, it doesn't mean you're an idiot. The reason is because the realm of intellect was never designed to figure out the infinite. God is beyond the mind. You need to come to him in faith. That's why you need faith. Because that is the only realm in which you meet God. Now, this is what you read in this story. A woman was there. That's on verse 25. It's always a woman. Watch out about these women. (laughs) On verse 25, a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd, touched his cloak, because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped as she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, verse 30, Jesus realized the power had gone out from him. Turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowded against you, his disciples answered. And yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, everybody say daughter. Even if you don't have one, say daughter. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Amen. Now, most people know about this story. The real thing that I would like to dwell on, this is one of the most extraordinary cases in the New Testament. When Jesus commends the faith of someone so highly, and I can understand why everybody was concerned about why Jesus was be bothered about this woman sneaking behind to touch him. The Bible shows us this is a model of triumphant faith. Faith that God reckons and faith that he rewards. There are so many people that tell you that I have faith, but nothing happens. This faith thing does not work, blah, 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 blah. Faith always works, like I teach my students, that faith without results is as impossible as rain without water. There is no way faith fails. Faith always obtains results. Do you understand what I'm saying? So if you believe in God, you're not wasting anything. You must understand that faith will always have results. But the amazing thing with the story of this woman is to look at the degree and the amount of things that were obstacles and impediments to the fullest expression of her faith. And yet she dared to believe God. My reason for coming today is to ask you to dare to believe God. And I'm saying to you that no matter what you have tried before, no matter how many systems you have put in place, and many of them did not work for you, try the faith system. It works. And engage your faith. Step out in faith. Walk in faith. Do what you do in faith because
because the Bible says without faith, it is impossible. It doesn't say difficult. It's impossible to please God. Can't make God happy when you are a doubter. You need to be a person of faith. Sometimes to find out whether there is any more faith in the house of God. Do you know that Jesus Christ actually used that as a statement concerning his coming? He said, when the son of man comes, shall he find faith in the world? Is that what he's looking for? Yes. That's what God is looking for. He's expecting that we are a people of faith. We walk in faith. The just shall live by faith. We exhibit and demonstrate our faith in every situation. Not only that, John tells us that, for this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. We are a people of faith. And everywhere we need to exhibit and prove the fact that our lives are not just no natural lives. They are hinged to the eternal. We have a divine connection of a superpower, an august and majestic God that is part of the equation of life. So we live our lives knowing for sure that God is part and parcel of everything that we do. What did this woman stand against? Culture, tradition, a worldview, perception of other people. She was suffering from a disease that would make you an outcast in society. You do not associate with everybody when you suffer from hemorrhage because everybody you touch immediately becomes unclean. So she has this whole situation of being ostracized because of the fact that she actually was suffering from this disease that leaves a stigma on you. The Bible says even with that, Knowing how the world and the people viewed it, she still dared to believe God. And I'm saying to you that that is the kind of faith that wins. Because your faith should stand against public opinion. Your faith should stand against a worldview that is negative to you. Your faith should stand against a perception and human estimation about your capability. And still say, no matter what they think about me, I believe I will get it done. It can be done. Amen? Do you know that none of you... There is no shortage of stigma and public opinion about you. I can tell you everything you want to know. Just, just this, this last week, my message, I was preaching following the visit of a guy I had a lot of respect for uh, in my life many years ago called Peter Daniels, an Australian. Very successful businessman, a multimillionaire. But years ago, I read one of his books that was called Mrs. Phillips, You Were Wrong. And I read the book because of the title. Because I never heard why, why would a guy write a book like that? Oh, Mrs. Phillips, you, you were wrong. And the book had to do with his school teacher. He was a young boy coming into Brisbane, joining a new class in a brand new environment. He didn't know anybody. And he's dazzled by everything he's seeing. And the teacher is standing in front, teaching the class. From nowhere, the teacher points at him and he says, Peter, what is the answer? This young kid, mesmerized by the whole environment, doesn't have the answer for anything. He wasn't even following the teacher's lesson. And the teacher went on a tirade to condemn him. Told him that you are the most dumb and stupid kid and we have no idea what you're doing here. And I can assure you that you are a total loser. You will never amount to anything. The same guy became a billionaire and became so successful. When he was rich, then he wrote a book to his school teacher. Mrs. Phillips was the school teacher and said, you were wrong. And you know what? <clears throat> Let me tell you why he wrote He wrote the book and when I followed through the chapters, I was amused. In one of the chapters, he says, Mrs. Phillips, you were wrong because you did not know me. Another chapter says, Mrs. Phillips, you were wrong because you put yourself in the place of God. You condemned me based on what you were seeing about me at that time. You didn't know what destiny had for me. What am I trying to show you? I'm trying to show you that the war against public opinion is a huge war. I call it at home the edge factor. 
Your faith can never find full expression until you deal with what I call the edge factor, the human factor. Because man has an idea about who you are. Do you understand what I'm saying? This woman needed to deal with that before she could progress. The second thing her faith had to deal with, expert opinion. Everybody say expert opinion. Do you know how sweet those sour words sound in your mouth? Because you believe in experts. I do too. Now, you know, (laughs) in this life today, you can't do anything without experts. Experts have to tell you what we need to do in Iran. They have to tell you what to do in Iraq. They have to tell you everything. Experts. But the experts say, I love it when I read something from an expert. The experts have to tell you how far you will go. How long you will live. How many days you still have. When the sun is going to fall. And what's happening to the last few dollars you have in your bank account. The experts have all the answers for those things. The experts will tell you everything about everything. <laughs> they will tell you why it's not raining. Why the temperatures are like this. Global warming. This warming. Then they will give you all these huge English words. Recession. Depression. Every shame that they can ever come up with. They will tell you why you will become a loser. And why you will become successful. Why this cannot happen. What? And you know as a child of God you can't escape that. You are exposed to that information all the time. And all that is happening against the testimony of the word of God. The experts will tell you that you are dying very soon. Life expectancy is being reduced by every hour. The Bible is saying, I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. The experts is telling you that the sun is about to fall down and very soon global warming is going to bring all the water on the land. The Bible is saying, for the waters are kept at bay by the word of the Lord. <laughs> My goodness, I love these experts when they tell you, when they make all these calculations and they tell you it's going to be like this, the US dollar is going to be worth nothing in the next two years. Did you know that? Oh, the experts said that. You're busy accumulating something that's going to be worth nothing in a couple of months from now. The experts are telling us that there's not going to be any fuel. Many of you, you better start practicing to be pedestrians. There's not going to be any fuel for all these big cars that you're accumulating in this country. We're running out of fossil resources. Woo! But listen to me. We live in a world that specializes in bad news. Do you understand what I'm saying? And people who make a career out of telling you ugly stuff. But somehow a child of God needs to believe this word of God. Somehow a child of God needs to take the word of God seriously against the experts and believe in what God said. Because if you don't, you'll be the most miserable person in the world. Now, you know, I I say that Do I have a problem with experts? No, I don't. I think I'm an expert in something too. But I can assure you that what I believe in is this. That when I listen to a man, you know, I'm sorry, I have to give you this example. Because a very dear friend of mine called Dr. Kevin Dyson, who is one of the most prominent educators I know of. Some years ago, and I was with him a couple of weeks back. He told me a story that was fascinating. He says, you know what, Clopas? Here I am, the doctor told me, from Melbourne. In Australia, I'm going to die in three weeks. Started packing my house, rewriting my will, calling my wife and spending all this time with her. This man who told me that he had machines that never run out of electricity. They are burning all the time. They are looking into me. They are looking back and north and south. And they examined everything, worked out the figures. Three weeks, pick your stuff. That's six years ago when he got that word. He said, when I was told that stuff, I went and see to see my spiritual father. It's like me, when they tell me, oh, you're dying. Then I, I need to make a trip to Tennessee and just see my leaders. 
and spend time with them. He said, when I got into his house and I told him the whole story, this spiritual man of God looked at me and asked me one question. One question. He said, Kevin, what is the Bible commandment that has a promise? You call yourself a scholar. Tell me, what is the scripture? What is the, what is the commandment that has a promise? He said, I looked at him and I said, I think if I remember well, it's the one that says, honor your father and mother and your days will be extended in the world. That is the commandment with the promise. He said, son, I will tell you one thing. You did all of that in your life. I believe that God will give you a new list of life. Pack your bags and go back home. <laughs> did he believe that word? Yes, he did. Hold on to the truth of the word of God and walk with it. But we have Christians today who believe the doctor more than the preacher. They believe the psychologist. Do you know why so many of us, we enjoy being complicated? That's a whole lot of you. If I were to, do you know why? I cannot even pastor some of you. You are so sophisticated. I don't even know the name of your disease. It's longer than anything I've ever seen in the dictionary. Now, let me tell you something. Let me tell you this. You know, every time when you look at all those things, what is, your, what is the name of your disease? Anthropotos is something going all the way. Who told you this big word? What is it all about? Sometimes all it means is that I have a stomach problem. Now, you know, at the end of the day, you ask yourself, so what do you really need to do? Don't think, I tell you, every civilized city of the world, you meet people who are exactly in the same scenario. They have these sophisticated problems. They need special, the preacher has to go back to school for another new degree in counseling to help you. I think I learned years ago that you can finish every man's counseling by asking one question, what did you do? If he answers it honestly, you have already dealt with 65% of the problem. (laughs) But you know what? Sometimes you don't want to tell me what you did. All you want me to do is figure it out. Somehow. Does experts lie? No, they do. They don't lie. They tell the truth. Everything that they tell you is what they are seeing. They are honest. They spend all those years to study your body. But I want to tell you something today about how a person of faith responds to that. When I hear what the experts say, I don't trash it. The faith that the Bible teaches us is the faith of Abraham. The scriptures say about Father Abraham, consider Abraham. (laughs) I love that. When Paul says, consider Abraham, look at the man of faith. Look at him that walked with God ahead of us. What was his story? The Bible says, against hope, Abraham believed. That's a phrase that has no meaning to you. Against hope means packing my bags and coming at Springhouse Church and expect a plane to take me from there. Don't happen quite often. But that's how Abraham believed God. The Bible says, first with the fact. Everybody say, first with the fact. What was the fact? The fact is that Sarah's womb was dead. And the fact is that the man is 100 years old beyond procreation. The laws of biology cease. There is no chance of talking about children at such an age. Then the scripture says, even though he was first with the fact that his, the womb of his wife was as good as dead and himself was beyond procreation, yet he still believed that the promise can come true. That I will be a father of many nations. Is that faith? That's faith. Faith does not deny facts. It faces the fact. But it chooses to accept the testimony of the word of God beyond the fact. It decides that I'm going to stand with the witness of scripture more than the evidence of the machine. That's how people walk in faith. It's not a shortage of facts. 
It's a decision that I believe God tells the truth all the time. You know why I believe in the word of God? Because the word of God is consistent. <laughs> so recently I was teaching about the fact that, you know why you need to put your faith in the word of God? Because only God's word is consistent. All language everywhere and every word of man has meaning and has derived meaning. Words accumulate meaning with time. You can't bang on the word of man. That's why years ago, when I would say, Woo, Michael Jordan is bad. I meant to say he is extremely wicked. But today when I say, my goodness, Michael Jackson, Jordan is bad, I mean extremely good. So at the end of the day, words change meaning all the time among men. You know why we believe in the word of God? Because it's consistent. God never changes what he meant. What he meant is what everything he said is what he meant. Amen. All that he said, all means all, and that's all it means. That's all that it is all about. God's word means the same thing again and again. The third thing that you see here, faith, faith faced with is experience. 12 years. You know what? I can tell you this. I will quickly go over this. Any person who has gone through one problem for 12 years is already learning coexistence. You, 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 you get used to cohabit with your problem. By that time, you call it mine. You know my condition. Mine, it's mine. You know, it's, we live together for a pretty long time. So it's called mine. But I tell you, what does it take for a man who has gone through one situation? Then after 12 years, you turn around with that stubbornness and say, I believe God is going to rewrite my story. It takes a person of faith. Amen. You know, there are so many of you whom even if you are going to be called for prayer, you just uh, you can just pray for me. But the other one prayed for me. Bongi prayed for me. This one prayed for me. There are, there are senior pastors. That other one prayed for me. And I also had all these TV preachers, I put my hand on the tube. You know, we have all these waves going on. In. TV preacher, put your hands, put your hands on the tube. Right now, are you in touch with me? You know, okay. They prayed for all, all of them prayed for me. How can you make a difference being an elder? Isn't that funny? That's how people miss God. Because they don't understand that it don't work like that. You have to stand in God in faith. The issue is not about the person, the issue is the promise. The word of God is where the story is. I had a story years ago that I shared with our church about a guy who literally left our country and went to Israel after being prophesied that if you ever step in the grave where Jesus was buried, you'll be healed right there. The man bought his ticket, sold his goats, went down there, spent time standing in the grave, licked the walls, and died in Israel. And the question came back to us. Why is it that a man would show such devotion and love for Jesus? And then God lets him die. You know why the guy died? He wasted his money going there. He didn't need to go there. The Bible says by his stripes we are healed. Didn't you hear that just right now? The Bible never said we need to go to Palestine and lick a stone before we get healed. The Bible tells us that we need to believe his word. That if he says by his stripes we are healed, we are to believe that. That's all that we need to believe in. Faith needs to be stubborn. Faith needs to be to wrestle and argue. Faith must reject rejection. Faith must be like the Canaanite woman who stands before Jesus. And Jesus uses words that are seemingly derogative like, I don't give bread to the children. And that woman stands right there and says, I'm going nowhere until you give me my healing. Faith needs to wrestle with God. Faith needs to face opposition and deny denial. And say, I will not because I believe I should get it. The next thing, her faith was faith to touch the Lord. 
Now you see the difference between your faith and her faith. She was not seeking to be touched. She wanted to touch Jesus. Now you see the difference between most of what we call faith. We live in a country where there are preachers who specialize in touch. Everybody who needs to be touched, touch, touch, touch. Now I find it very funny. When you watch television from this part of the world, you would mistake the guy for a WWF guy when it's actually a preacher. Touch, 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 touch. Never mentions Jesus. No petition of prayer. No attitude of seeking anything. They are just touching. Touch. Everybody need, anybody needing a, needing a touch? Touch, 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 touch. What do you think you are doing? That whole Pentecostal circus that you are involved in and you think you are honoring God in, right in that atmosphere. Listen to me. She did not need to touch Jesus. She, she needed to touch the Lord. She needed to make an impression to him. Now you know why Jesus Christ actually stopped and said, somebody touched me. Now you see why the question was a dumb question to the disciples. Because all these men are right there. Bartholomew, uh, Peter, everybody was there. So, uh, Lord, it must have been me. I touched you a few seconds ago. We are all crushing around you and you ask who touched me. What kind of a stupid question is that? We are all touching you. Why would you say somebody touched me? Okay, you are all touching me. I understand what you're saying. I said somebody touched me. They actually wanted Jesus to dismiss that whole inquiry. It wasn't necessary. We all touched you. You know, even me. I touched you a few seconds ago. Your touch was meaningless. You never touched me. You were seeking to be touched by me. I said, when I was in England, when the Pope visited in, in the UK, I was blown apart. Thousands of people in the streets of Birmingham lifting up their children. If only the Pope could touch him. That's what they want. This is the kind of consumer Christianity that we are breeding in the charismatic world today. Where people, all that they want from God is what he can give them. None of them is willing to touch the heart of God with compassion and show the love of God within them. What they want is what God can give to them. That is the reason why the preachers of this great land, they found out that all you want is an emotional experience. So what did they do? They reconfigured the religion. And they put a dose to help you. Since if your emotions are not triggered, you don't feel victorious. So sometimes it's funny. Because you can watch a church going on. And the word of God is coming forth smoothly and gently and graciously. People do not feel the response and the power and the impact of the word. So what do I do? I have to engage something called a hoop. It's like it's another sermon that begins after the message. It's, 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 it's a very interesting technique but it works because why? because you need it because your Christian life is structured in such a way that until I engage a trigger mechanism to joke your emotions you can't feel victorious so what do I do? and I begin after preaching my sermon I get into the message I don't know which one is the first I heard this from a very prominent African American theologian who told me that Clopas in the black church the message begins after the sermon <laughs> it's like somehow I have to begin now I'm studying and now it's about cheeseburger can I get a cheeseburger this afternoon right now I am going you know somehow you, you have to sound asthmatic to help the children of God to feel victory there's going to be something that will happen. oh we got a cheese did I say cheeseburger what do you think you're doing when I'm doing that, the whole church is on its feet. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now they feel the power. Now they feel the anointing. 
They may even throw money on the altar too. The one which they kept behind after the offering. Isn't that surprising? It's time to give to the Lord. The secretary stands, moves the basket. I don't give the money. But when that trigger mechanism comes, there was another one which I had left behind in my pocket. Mercy on us. Somehow we need to learn to be children of God who are obedient to the word. We need to be people that respond to the word. In Luke chapter 16, the rich man and Lazarus story. Very interesting story. The Bible says the rich man now is in torment. And he looks to Father Abraham with one request. Father, I am dying and I'm burning here. Can't you send me back? Get another fellow coming from hell to just go and tell my brothers. And the question of Abraham is, what's the difference? Why would we need to get someone from the dead to go and preach to your brothers when they are already hearing sermons at Springhouse? You know what is the difference? Because he knew his brothers. My brothers, their problem is they don't believe unless it's a very sensational preacher. The advert will be saying straight from hell. Come and listen to this preacher in town who has his whole jaw eaten by ants and maggots. You will actually see the holes. He will tell you what is the temperature of hell now. They come when you do that. So somehow this is why the world is buying into the lie. And why even preachers are departing from telling the truth as it is plainly in the word. We are selling into the sensational demands of the church. Because we can't stand with the word in its integrity. Because we are breeding a generation of emotional people who all that they want is a feeling. Rather than principally following God and his word. So they are changing churches one week after another one. There is another one. Powerful. Powerful. Did you hear about this thing? Powerful. Oh God. Let me get out of there. The last thing we are finishing. Is the attitude of her faith. It's very important. I'm going to say two things and close. You know I never. I never. I missed it for many years. That when you read this story about this woman. The Bible says she came quietly. I can assure you Jesus was always surrounded by men for the most part. But the scriptures say a vow was that if only I could touch the hem of his garment. That's what she wanted to touch. That means to do that, she needed to come creeping on the ground. That's why Jesus could not see her. That's why most people even who were there did not see her. How did she approach the Lord creeping on the floor? Going through all the legs of the man. Until she touched the hem of his garment. Do you know how I know that? Because she didn't want to touch the head of Jesus. She wanted to touch the hem. And that means the very last part of an outer garment of a man. A Jewish man. That's what she wanted to touch. She wanted to touch that and believed that if I do that, I will be made well. So what does that show you? Her attitude, the attitude of her faith had a lot of humility in it. Sometimes people think that faith is a license. It's not. Faith is a posture and an attitude that we should have before God, but we shouldn't be arrogant about it. That was one of the worst things wrong about the faith teaching years ago. Everybody was talking about my faith, my faith, my faith. So I told people in the morning about a statement that Pastor Wayne shared with us some time back. Very powerful statement. I have memorized that statement. Sometimes I speak about it without giving credit to the source. I'm only doing it because he's here right now. (laughs) But he said... He said that if we do 
Now, you know how the Bible tells us how we're supposed... The Bible says, humble yourself before God and he will what? Lift you up. That's the simple process of how to get to the top in the kingdom. But if we choose to do what God was supposed to do for us, then God will have no choice except to do your part. That means if you choose to lift yourself up, you, 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 I, me, myself, I lift myself up, then God will have no choice except to play your role, which is the humbling part. And that's what happens all the time. All the time. That's what happens all the time. I want to close by telling you something that Pastor Ronnie Mick taught us many years ago. We were studying the book of Romans. I, I keep this thing so fresh in my head like yesterday. And it's the only time I've ever had an explanation like that. He to said to us that faith, it's not about the size of the faith, but about the object of the faith. If you listen to his lessons, you'd be much better than where you are right now. Let me tell you what that means and how I have taught it to everywhere I have ever gone. It's not in the size of the faith. It's in the what? Object of the faith. What does that mean? It means it's not about the faith does not have to be like a mountain to move a mountain. The faith should be the mustard seed size to move a what? A mountain. So what do we mean when we say it's not about the size of the faith? Because it's the issue is not in the faith itself or, in, or its volume, but it's in the one you believe in. The object of your faith. To give you a simple example, if you believe hard that by an End of this service, Pastor Wayne will give me a check for $1 million. Without fail in the name of Jesus. I can assure you without prophesying, you won't get the money. Do you know why I know, how I know that? Because the one you are believing to deliver does not have that kind of money. But if you have very little faith, that maybe Bill gets me feel sorry about my letter that I sent to him. You may actually get the money. Why? Because the object of your faith is resourceful enough to deliver. So it's not the size of the faith. It's the object of the what? Of the faith. So true people of faith, they don't celebrate their faith. They celebrate the one they believe in. God matters more in your faith, more than the volume of your faith. If only we believed God like that, our attitude would be humble even when we walk in faith. But for the most part, we celebrate the size of, did you see what my faith did, huh? Your faith, huh? Stand up, we're going to pray. God wants us to walk in faith. Can't do much with people that doubt him. Every one of the men in scripture were people of faith. Dare to believe God. Do you know why you can have faith in God? Because he's faithful. You can trust God. You can put your faith in God. Because God, there are two things that I, I like about, <laughs> about Abraham. The scriptures say he believed God. But it qualifies the fact that, for he believed that the one who gave the promise had the power to deliver. It's one thing to trust in God. It's another to know that the one you believe in actually has the potential and capability to deliver. Why should you put your faith in the word of God? The scripture teaches that everything that God ever did in the book of Hebrews, he sealed his promises by two things that cannot be changed. Oh, I love that scripture. 
Two things that cannot be changed. Number one, his covenant because it cannot be broken. And number two, his word. So the scriptures say everything that God did to them, he sealed it by two things that are unchangeable. God's word cannot lie. And his covenant cannot be broken. You can trust this God. Any man can laugh at you, but you have the last laugh if your faith is in God. I want to tell you something. We put our faith in so many things of the world today, many of you. We put our faith in the money systems of the world until Wall Street collapsed. We put our faith in technology of the world. You know, do you know that even all our arsenal, military arsenal, we are so proud of it that, do you know what we can do? Do you have an idea that someone can forget one password and the whole world will be in trouble? Do you have an idea that, I was telling a story about when we were flying with Pastor Wayne in Southern Africa one time. And suddenly, after traveling for a while, we found out that the wheels cannot fold back. I was startled to learn that what, what do you, because I was sleeping. He woke me up later. He says, are you aware that we are going back? I said, what? What do you mean we're going back? He said, they failed to fold back the wheels. Now, I don't know how they fold back those wheels. I just hear the sound when they go back in there. But one thing I know for sure, we can't fly with them like that because as though we are preparing to land because they call it something like aerodrag where it will run down the fuel of the plane. So eventually we'll have a crash. And I'm thinking, did the guy miss the button? No, the button was still there. That's how the things of the world work. They are as unreliable as anything. And you put your whole life in those things. Many of you have very little investment in the kingdom of God. And all you do is to invest in the things of the world that mean absolutely nothing and will perish and will be destroyed, including you. Your faith should be in God. Your faith should be in God because everything about him Will last forever. Will last forever. You know, I, I have met. I, I, can, I cannot tell you. Uh, I think more than a month ago when I was in Colorado Springs, one of the greatest honors of my life was to meet Dr. Lauren Cunningham. They tell me in World Missions that he's the only man that has traveled to almost every nation on the face of the earth, physically. I could weep just looking at him. And I'm thinking to myself, this man invested all his life to seeking the lost, that which is lost. No greater investment better than that. The things of this life are meaningless. Only what's done for Christ will last forever. I pray that our faith is raised in the presence of God. Today, I want to challenge you to learn to exercise your faith, to higher heights, to dare to believe God. It's shameful for a Christian to discuss a problem without mentioning their trust in God. For a family to sit together facing a situation and never make reference to God. For church leaders to sit in a meeting and discuss a problem or a program and never mention divine intervention. We are losing faith. Our faith should be in God. Raise your hands. We're going to pray to God. Thank you, Lord. And I will ask you, just open your mouth. Pastor, can you come? Just open your mouth and speak to the Lord whatever comes in your heart. But today, I pray that God would raise us to become a people of faith. A church of men and women who believe God and dare to believe him. No matter what we have faced. No matter what the doctor told you. No matter what the expert said. No matter how many years you have struggled with it. Be patient. God is faithful. 
he will deliver. Father God, we are so thankful today that your word is true, that your promises are yes and amen. We thank you that you reign forevermore, that no matter what happens, you are still in control and you have not leased this world to men. That the final word is in the hands of God. It's not over until God says it's over. Teach us to be a people of faith.